Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The AFC North is the creme de la creme this year. No team with a losing record. Take a look at that. We got Pittsburgh coming off a bye this week, taking on the Rams. And the Steelers could be getting a boost with the possible return of Deontay Johnson. He's been on IR with a hamstring injury sustained in week one. So he said, hell yeah, he's going to play against the Rams in week seven. So I, we got a hell yeah. I mean, it's not official confirmation, <laughs> but, you know, hell yeah, hell yeah, brother. Uh, like I said, would be a boost to the Steelers offense here, guys. That'd be huge. And uh, listen, I feel like a hell yeah on the scale of assertions, dad, for a player yeah. is probable. Like that would be on the injury point, de- injury report designation scale. I would put that as probable. A hell yeah. A yes might be a questionable. Right, right, you know, right. Looking down, oh. avoiding eye contact would give doubtful to me. So I feel like body language and language yep, reading yep. here. All signs have, should have Steelers fans feeling pretty good. Yeah, the line we'll see, I think, would equate to a doubtful as well. I'm uh, with yeah, you. Yeah, there we go. And, and you know, here's here's someone who got hurt right in the beginning of the season. I mean, when you're chomping at the bit to start, and, and many players do, the injuries happen every single week. So now you're finally getting back and 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 getting ready to get on the field. I mean, the the fresh, you know, the old fresh legs, even though you're dealing with a hammy injury, still you haven't been playing football and wearing and tearing on your body. So uh, I'm sure he can't wait to get out there and catch a few balls. And he was the guy last year that was the number one in that receiver yep. room. We spent yep. so much time focused, you know, Allen Robinson coming over after his time in Chicago and his other stops in his NFL journey. We're hopefully going to talk to Allen Robinson from the Steelers wide receiver room here in just a couple of minutes about them getting ready for this Rams week about Deontay potentially coming back into this offense because that Deontay was the number one. You've got guys that fill such a variety of roles in this offense right now that I think we're all continuing to wait. There's such a hyper fixation on Matt Canada, his role as the offensive coordinator, Kenny Pickett trying to make that next step in year two. And you look around this offense and it, it, feels like it should work. Jalen Warren's been sensational for them in the backfield uh, as well. So there's a lot of pieces that you like. 
And we're just waiting for it to all come together to be a complement to what is a Super Bowl caliber defense. I, I agree. I mean, you look at the offense now, Johnson coming back, you have Pickens, Johnson, Robinson as the three wide receivers. You have Warren, you know, Najee Harris is a guy that really runs a ball a lot, but Warren is second on the team in receptions right now. So he's a guy catching out of the backfield. So you're right. The weapons are there for Pickett. We've talked earlier in the season about the Pickett-Matt Canada-OC relationship and kind of getting that squared away, but it does seem like they have the talent there on the offensive side to complement the defensive side. But as we've talked about with a lot of the, the AFC North, that's the defenses are carrying these teams right now, but that doesn't mean these offenses can't start you know, to start turning over a little bit. And I'm really interested in talking to Allen Robinson. I mean, this is ninth year. I think we're in his ninth year already. I mean, it's, I, I'd imagine for him, it's got to be just like, I've said it too, playing nine years. It goes by fast. Uh, but man, this one really seemed like it's gone by fast. It, it has. He's been a guy that seems like he's been around. Yeah, it seems like he's been around for that long yeah. too. We've been constantly talking about him for a while. It was the free Allen Robinson tour when he was with the Chicago Bears. Right, it seemed right. like that offense was never going to get fully off the ground. And so we'll see what it's been like on the other side. And for him, playing for one of the coaches in Mike Tomlin, that's also been a fixture and a figure in the NFL for so long. And dad, kind of at the beginning of this season. I think as of late, it's become a more singular conversation. But we were having weeks ago that conversation about Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin, both of these coaches that had been defensive-minded head coaches that had been winners for so long and been associated with this picture of excellence. In Pittsburgh, it was Mike Tomlin never finishing below 500, always knowing where the floor of your team was going to be. But since then, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots side has really given way a lot more to where every week I feel like we're doing would the Patriots fire Bill Belichick now as the question. And the answer is going to keep remaining no, at least on my side. I can't even think of, Dad, what it would take and how bad it would have to go for all of a sudden me to believe that the Patriots would actually consider canning Bill Belichick before he's ready to go. So that conversation's kind of gone down its own path, separate from the Steelers and Tomlin, at least for now. Oh, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I we've talked about this, and, and it's going to be talked about every week as they still don't perform the way we think a Bill Belichick team will perform, and I still think it's going to be him stepping away, and there's the pride of after another bad season, do you want to step away? You try and prove that you can build a winning team again. So though I think it, certainly nothing's going to happen during the season, and then there may be that conversation you know, with Robert Kraft, and I don't think Kraft would fire him. I think it would have to be, hey, you know, do you think it's time to step away and and see what Bill has to say? But there is the other caveat of Bill kind of running the team as a GM as well. Do you do you mute that a little bit? So there are there are other things that you possibly could do going forward. But I still say he will be the decider of his fate in New England. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We've talked about that, but I thought it was very interesting hearing a couple of former Patriots speak on this. Teddy Bruschi, who obviously is as associated with and respected yeah. by that Patriots organization as any player that's come through there, talked about what he looked for in this season and said he wanted Bill Belichick to come to this decision on his own after this season to not see it go on too long here. He said he wants them to have them playing respectable football by the end of the season and then walk away. That's what I want my former coach to do. Don't Don, you know, John Shula doesn't matter. You've got multiple Super Bowls over Super Bowl. You're a better coach, meaning trying to catch that all time mark here. Right. He wants him to do that. And Ty Law, another former Patriot 
went on WEEI's The Greg Hill Show Tuesday and talked about how he views that, those comments, and Bill Belichick's future with this team. When I'm looking at him on the sideline, he doesn't look like he's having a lot of fun. I know it's no, it's no fun losing, so don't get me wrong, but you just see everything about the, his, uh, the body language and stuff, man. You know what I mean? Because those guys, he's a defensive guy. Those guys can't stop a nosebleed if you gave them a whole year supply of Kleenex and cotton balls. You know what I mean? They can't stop <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, he's not having fun no more. So, Dad, these are all points that we've made that Bill Belichick, it should be his decision. And you wonder if with this cocktail of events and everything that's gone on in the season, would this guy just be sick and damn tired of this, not want to look out there and see a team that does nothing in resembling the teams that he has built in the past and the overwhelming standard that he's got there. But for Ty, when has Bill Belichick ever looked like he's been I having fun mean, on a New England seriously, sideline? Right? Like, can I you mean, remember a single time where that man looked full of joy and life on a Patriot sideline, even on the best days? I, I was stunned in hearing that. I guess you have to be a former player to know his body language and how he's having fun because I can't tell a thing. It never looks like he's having a fun day in his life. But the guy, obviously, he loves football. He loves being around it. He's, this is his fun. He's enjoying it. He just doesn't exude it to where you go, Wow, look at Bill, man. It looks like he's having a ball out there until there's all zeros on the clock at the end of one of his, you know, many Super Bowl victories. So the one thing left, right, is the is the Don Shula chasing Don Shula, you know, in in victories. You know, I was actually on the the Dolphins and we actually played in Philly when Don when we won that game in Philly and Don Shula broke the record of of George Hallis. Uh, it was a pretty wild thing, even though I was only there for a year. So it's not like I was a huge part of this thing. But Bill Belichick, it, it seems right that he's the next guy, and you know, to to step in line to break that record. So let's let's see if he's around long enough to do that. Yeah, and, and that's something you do wonder, and because we don't know so much about Bill Belichick's motivation for so many things, it's always cryptic answers. If he's going to go off, it's going to be about the history of long snapping, like we got that dissertation yeah, during yes, the press conference yeah. uh, in a prior season. But we don't really know how much something like that motivates a man like Bill Belichick. Who, to Teddy Bruschi's point, Bill Belichick's resume is unassailable at this point. Right. Like, I don't feel like there's a lot of conversations left to be had, even if people want to do in retrospect this whole song and dance with the him and Brady thing. I just don't think it's a useful exercise because in a world where we constantly struggle to figure out where we see coaching have effects from the outside looking in. Right. Like coaching, coaching is like an iceberg where so much of it happens below the surface and behind closed doors. And dad, having experienced it, you know, for the time I did for as long as you did understand as well as anybody, there's going to be so many things that go into coaching the interpersonal side of things, how you manage the locker room, the standard around the building that people don't see that with Bill Belichick, because we had two decades of exposure to it and a million think pieces about it and a million iterations of that team that were still successful. We feel like this is the one guy we can point to and say, Oh no, we actually see all the, areas where coaching seeped into this equation understanding that i'm always going to ascribe more more of the credit to players because that's how this sport works and any coach worth the salt would tell you that but with bill in particular that kind of career longevity even with the greatest quarterback we've ever seen the greatest winner we've ever seen still boils down to play places that we can see coaching come out to the public that very rarely pop up for the majority of the coaching public in football yeah yeah i, I mean so as it's, do we think he hangs around enough? So, so you look at the numbers. 
Don Shula, 347 wins. Bill Belichick, 330 wins. So you're 17 wins away. Yeah. You've got 11 more games this year and say 17 next year. So do you think in the next year, you know, the this year and next year, it's 28 games that he could win 17 of those? I mean, the way it's going right now, I don't think people, people think it would go into a year after that. But I wonder... Because Bill doesn't seem to be driven by that as much as driven by a Super Bowl. And I understand it's not like you have when you're in the backyard playing catch, you don't think about, oh, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. It's like, I want to make a game-winning catch in the Super Bowl. You know, it's all about the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. So I wonder how much that number is important to him. You know, that 347 to be the all-time winningest coach. I don't know. And it's hard-pressed with the team that they have right now to think that he could win where he would need 18 game, 18 wins to actually break that record out of the next 28 games that have to be played at through, through this year and all of next year. So uh, the, the plot thickens on that, but, and then that's the part you have to continue to enjoy because I've said it about players as well, Mike, is when you retire, you don't want to do the February to August thing anymore. Everybody yeah. loves game day. Everybody loves to go out. I, I'd still throw pads and go out onto the field on game day and and be carted off on my shield after two plays. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. But the, the want is there. It's when February hits, when your season ends, and then it's February, it's March, and you have to start the process over again after your body's healed up and do all the things that you know you need to do to be ready for the season. Well, for the coaches – that's their world of all the things that they need to do. What's Bill famously known for saying after winning a Super Bowl and taking 10 seconds to enjoy it is how far we're behind everybody else because they've already had some weeks of yeah. offseason and we haven't and we have to play catch up now. But he loves that stuff, you know, and he lives for that. So so that's outside of being ousted, which we don't think he will be if it's going to be his decision, then your decision again, it's not based, it's not going to be for Bill based on game day. It's like it's that preparation. It's that February to August to the start of training camp. Do you want to go through all that muck and mire to get to another season, which in all honesty is like icing on the cake after all the offseason work you do? It's pretty crappy icing right now, yeah. too. So yeah, that doesn't is. really help that when all is. of a sudden You're you right. get to the icing and yeah. it tastes the way it does in New England right now. I, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting question. And at their current rate, would the Patriots then let him stick around? Because it's one thing. They're not going to fire him in the midst of this season. No, no, let no. Let him stick no. around for two, three more seasons yep. if it's going to look like this to get to that record just because you love a guy. We've seen plenty of places in the world of sports where athletes, coaches have outstayed their welcome in terms of on-court production. I do think of the late Kobe Bryant at the end of his Lakers tenure that was a team that was not as good because right. they wanted to make sure that a guy that meant that much to their franchise was taken care of and felt loved at the end of a tenure that had brought them all the championships and all the accolades that he had brought it's a difficult bit of calculus we'll have every week the rest of the season to continue to talk about this dad while we're talking about coaching I wanted to bring this up because I think we're at a fascinating point with the Deion Sanders Colorado experiment that's going on in the world of college football right now. We didn't get a chance to talk Monday or Tuesday much about Colorado blowing a 29-point lead against Stanford in the wee hours of the night going into this last college, or coming out of, I should say, this last college football weekend. 46-43 to 43 in double overtime. They lose to a Stanford team coached by Troy Taylor that most people had written off before the start of the season. And Colorado 
had been humbled on the big stage against Oregon, had bounced back against Arizona State. Most people looked at it and said, all right, this Stanford game and a couple others on their schedule look like the winnable games that could get right. them into bowl contention. This was Deion Sanders after this loss talking about his team and their preparation and being ready for the moment or not. Right now, we're not built for the moment. We're not built for the moment. Um, some of our players aren't built for the moment where they have to make a play or they have to keep contained or they have to make a block or they have to get a, uh, another yard. We're not built for the moment right now. What I just said in the locker room to the team is they got to make up in their mind, are they in love with this game or are they in like with it? Because when you love something, you give to it unconditionally. You give everything you got to it, but when you like it, that's just the button you push. And it lights up in a like. That's what they do on social media. So we got to figure out, do they love it or do they like it? The great line. And, Dan, yeah. we've heard a lot more lines coming out of Colorado this last week. This program is very given of the con- giving of the content around their facility and in their meetings. And I've seen a lot of their coaches talking to players about their preparation and their practice habits and about how those things have not been good enough to get to the point that they want to get to. And, Dad, you do wonder if this is some of the effects of the way they've gone about building the team this year where Deion Sanders in the preseason made comments, and he's not the only coach to do this. Lane Kiffin's mentioned it as well. But that in this era, culture is a lot less important to your team and that that culture word didn't mean anything to him. That's usually what sustains you in moments like this when you have things to point back to of how you go about your business, the things that matter to you, because it seems like this Colorado team is teetering on the edge of blow up with all of that, not really as a foundation for them. Well, I I think we are in that period of, I mean, classes all stuck together, right? Even when you were, forget when I was playing, even when you were playing, it's not like you had a lot of guys transfer, right? The portal wasn't what it was. And this is from 08 to 12. Yeah, we didn't have a portal. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't going on. So you built that together. I mean, th- you know, he talks about Dion, you know, and, 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 and I'll continue to say, I love what he's doing there as far as culture, but and he's talking about players maybe not being into it, but he brought in all these players, right? Right. He, he's these are his guys that he brought from his previous stop that he brought in from the portal that he had to know something about to bring them in from the portal. So these are handpicked by him that are now he's questioning their work ethic. So, you know, we, well, we and can, the work ethic that also is partly his job to instill, right? Exactly. Yes. That's exactly where I was going. That's, that's on a coach. You know, we talk about getting to the NFL. I don't need an NFL coach to motivate me. This is my job now. If I have to say, well, that coach has got to motivate them, man, give me a break. If you can't motivate yourself as a pro athlete, uh, you got you got your own issues. But, you know, as an 18 to 22-year-old coming to college, I mean, that is part of the a coach's job is to motivate, is to get everybody, you know, to use a P.J. Fleck, you know, get everybody, you know, rowing in the same direction, or I think that's his line or something with his row oars. The boat. And yeah, you row got the it. boat. So, you know, that that's on a coach to get the, the, especially the top players to buy in and have it filter down. So, yeah, I mean, you got to kind of look at Dion in this one and say, you brought him in, Dion. I mean, these are these are your guys now. Now he'll have recruiting classes to bring in and kind of kind of create that culture with them. But that's one of the things that is missing. And in their situation, 
a huge thing because 86 new players, and that's not going to happen every year. But just like I said, with your class, you guys all got to play together for three, four, sometimes well, five years where you can build that if you had the same coach. And if we expect Dion to be there, that's what we're assuming right now, that that's what you can build over time. Yeah, I think the the thing I, I'm empathetic towards the guys on this team is they're getting higher order problems way earlier in that life cycle that you're talking about there. Because to lay the foundation for, hey, these are the things that matter to us as far as our practice habits. This is how we conduct ourselves around the facility. We, I went through a coaching change at Notre Dame, and when Brian Kelly came in, all new signs up about, hey, this is right. how we do little things like organize our lockers. This right. is when we're going to go do things. This is how we structure our off-season program. This is how we're going to structure practice, and this is what's expected when you get there. And we were still a team that struggled on the field while you're getting used to those things. Right. Fast forward to 2012 when all of a sudden we're going undefeated, and now now you're learning how to deal with the media attention. College game day is coming into town. Every reporter wants to talk yeah, to you. There's yeah. people outside your facility looking for autographs. And that was Notre Dame, a place that's a little more used to that. You've got 86 new guys yeah. that showed up and a place that was 1-11 last year that hasn't been good in a long time that are now getting coverage like the 04 and early 2000s USC teams where you're not just a football team people care about. You're an idea people care about and you're a brand people want to be associated with. And so I am pathetic that these players are trying to navigate problems that at this point in their football development they're not yet at a point where you've got the reps to be able to handle that in a way that I think people just expect is really easy right now so combine that with some struggles on the field and I don't think what we get now is all that surprising yeah listen and I'll say this as well when when you're talking about somebody not loving it loving the game it's tough to get them to love the game that's for sure. Especially in the midst of that kind of loss on that kind of stage with all of this kind of attention. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great. But everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We are hopefully going to talk to Alan Robinson from the Steelers. We also got former Michigan tight end Jake Butt coming up. Uh, who's doing a great job over at the Big Ten Network now. Got a big one in that conference, Dad. We've talked a lot about yeah, the, uh, yeah. the different conferences so, that are going to start to sort out the equation themselves, and Ohio State, Penn State this weekend going to be the beginning of that in that conference. So let me ask you a question, just to pull the curtain back. We're waiting for Allen Robinson, and he's with the Steelers now, receiver with the Steelers, and he's they're in their meeting with Mike Tomlin. We're waiting for that to get out. 
you were when you were with the Steelers and you had your Mike Tomlin meetings, did they run late? Are you always waiting for words of wisdom from Mike Mike Tomlin? What could we it, so I'm not sure we're gonna get Alan. It all depends on the meetings and how yeah. they run. But I mean, this is, is the middle of game week. This oh, is exactly right. day in the NFL. That, we were stunned that he was even I, doing it. Absolutely stunned. And then we hear he's in a meeting with Tomlin. I revert to you because you've been in meetings with Tomlin as uh, on the team. And, and so, I mean, is the expectation, do we think he's going to get out in time to be able to do this? I would think so. The beauty of a Mike Tomlin meeting is I think they follow a pretty specific cadence because you hear all the sayings all the time from Mike Tomlin. And so what I noticed, and again, it was one off season, it was one training camp. So I had limited exposure to this, but that man is the marker of consistency where you come into the meeting and it's going to start the same. There's going to be a lot of the same points in the middle of that in terms of what he wants to get to. Maybe the content of that will change week to week, but no, I, I think that's one that you can more set your clock to than one where you have to worry about him going off on a tangent, him finding his way into a subject that you weren't prepared right, for. Right. And then, cause that was, I mean, famously, you used to hear the stories, God rest his soul, Mike Leach, when he was still with us yes. and coaching, his meetings were famous for if all of a sudden something got brought up, these tangents that he would go on that would take you 45 minutes yes, in the other direction. Yes. And this wasn't talking to the media. Like he was famous for this too. I called Mississippi State games when he was coaching there and he would get going on one thing like we'd see in press conferences, ghosts or pirates or anything. And it would take one question from a reporter and ruin anyone's chances of getting a question in with him, even in team meetings, you heard players saying, oh, no, we could give 45 minutes away to that same stuff inside our team meetings. So not a lot of that from Mike Tomlin, much more of that from Mike Leach. Yeah. So just just know that if Allen Robinson isn't joining us, it's not that Allen Robinson is blowing us off. He's got responsibilities in that locker room. Again, this is. This is Wednesday of a game week, so I, I'm I'm stunned it was happening anyway. So uh, let's consider ourselves lucky if we're able to, to get him for a few minutes. The standard is the standard, so yes. sayeth the sign in that, <laughs> which don't think too hard about what that means because it's one of those things that sounds really good to stay, and then the more you think about it, you're like, what does that even actually mean? But it's the basis of everything that goes on in that yep. building. Yep. Dad, one thing I don't think you're going to see a lot of with Mike Tomlin is what we saw from Shane Beamer at South yeah. Carolina this past weekend. Shane Beamer, in a fit of rage, a frustrated mm -hmm. Shane Beamer after their outing against the Florida Gators, where they <laughs> lost 41 to 39 at oh. home, limped into his weekly news press conference on Tuesday and said he was emotional after the loss and made a little bit of a mistake. Here was Shane Beamer from that press conference explaining the source of his new injury. Certainly that was a gut-wrenching emotional loss, and, and uh, I was frustrated and kicked something that I shouldn't have kicked and and uh, thought I was okay, but journaling of the game wore off. And before anybody starts the narrative, like the head football coach is – frustrated and lost his poise and all that. No, I care. And um, uh, I care about these kids. And I was really upset on Saturday night because I didn't do enough to help them uh, get over the hump and win the football game. So don't think I have to have surgery, but there is a broken bone in my foot. It hurts like you know what. He, he, well, football he guy right there putting off surgery, Jesse, at least. Yeah, he was like, he said it hurts like you know what, but I've just got to like gut through it. I was like, 
maybe you? you shouldn't you got yeah. doctors right there on campus like i yeah, was just I mean, lamenting with someone the other day one of the things that we saw robert griffin the third before monday night yes. football he was like man you miss having doctors just right around you all the time you got them there shane pull it let up. me tell you what they know how to take pain away let me tell you that they the know point, how yeah. to take pain away again it's a team that blew a 10.4 quarter lead you know he had to be frustrated there they're two and four. I think there was a little more expectation out of them maybe this year as a program, hopefully going in the right direction, one and three in the SEC, and uh, and busted his foot, you know, out of frustration. Have you ever had a coach, Mike? I can only think of one that not, not hurt themselves, but just lost it. For me, the worst one was Buddy Ryan. We were playing Minnesota, and uh, the offense was on the field, and Ron Heller, our O tackle, got poked in the eye, and 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 I'm I'm trying to remember the player's name, and I don't want to say a wrong name, so I won't even say a name to to put it on someone. But literally, I mean, it was right there. I mean, you could see it on tape. Just literally poked him in the eye. I mean, and and Heller grabbed his eye. I mean, it it was it was a really cheap thing to do. I mean, Buddy Ryan lost his mind at halftime. Bro- threw a, I think he threw a chair into a whiteboard and de- and destroyed the whiteboard after saying he wanted the guy's knee blown out who had done it. And oh my God! Cool- well, oh, listen, this was in a fit of rage. Cooler heads, you know, prevailed, and and that didn't I mean, happen. Not totally out of character for a Buddy Ryan no. coach team, by the way, though. Anybody who knows Buddy would know that he would say something like that in the heat of the. He, I mean, it was, you know how you go in at halftime, Mike, and everybody kind of goes to the bathroom first, and then you kind of have your time for a few minutes, and then you sit down. I mean, immediately, we walked in, and Buddy was losing his mind, drawing up how he wanted this guy's knee blown out, then breaking the whiteboard. And and luckily, we had, you know, some minutes left because it was the beginning of halftime to everybody like, okay. We're not going to do that. You know, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, walk me through your guys' thoughts there. Are you at all fired up hearing him going oh. to bat for your teammates? Oh, yeah. Are you sitting there like, all right, just let him get this out of his system no, and no. we'll take See, care of it? Like, how did you feel about that? Well, here's the thing. It didn't shock any of us Yeah, because it was Buddy Ryan. This is a guy who, I mean, literally wanted you to fight in training camp. And if he didn't think you fought enough, was going to put you in a drill where you were going to have to fight. I mean, this is one where he told assistant coaches, if you are going to jaw at the players and they start to fight with you, then you, that's the way it goes. I mean, this is, this is what it was. I mean, when you think about it, it was a little bit ridiculous, but a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but for me, who was a line stepper anyway, I wasn't one of the best athletes. I got by on, watching a lot of tape and just trying to be gutsy and occasionally stepping over the line and certainly got my share of fights. I was like, hell yeah, brother, this is good for me. I got no, you want me to go in there and punch somebody in the face? Hell I'll do it. (laughs) You know, just keep me on the team. Keep those game checks coming. You know, that's a fair point. The, The wild thing about that though, is that player ended up on the Browns the next year. And why I, I bring this up is we, as I, as I said, we went to London twice to play in preseason games. And, and remember, it was just preseason then. But you went for the week, and you practiced for the week and then played the preseason game. We went that next year against the Browns, and that player now was on the Browns. Mike, 
the amount of fights that happened, they had to they had to take him off the field and not bring him out on the practice field anymore. The amount of because he was on defense, so it was when our offense was going on, there would be a fight. Our defense, we were on another field. We I, at least five to eight times we would be sprinting over to that field to get in on the fight that was going on until they literally told this player, "You're done." And they came up later and said, oh, he's got a hamstring. But he was yeah. done practicing for the week because we couldn't get anything done. Nobody because forgets everybody kept, poker. Nobody oh, my forgets. God. Everybody was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And you know our team back then, Mike. I mean, you were like, kill that guy? Okay, no problem. Let's go. You know, it was it was mayhem out there. It was incredible. And the only thing I was bummed about is when we sprinted over there, I wasn't as fast as the other guys. And I was getting there late as I was trying to dive in on the pile and find someone to punch. I wow. got to say, hearing all of this in totality from Shane Beamer going out here and apparently breaking a bone in his foot in frustration after a loss in hearing that a year after an eye poking incident on an NFL oh. football field, a group of Philadelphia Eagles were so weaponized that they could not function in practice nope. in the lead nope. up to a game for an entire week. It all points back to one incontrovertible fact. Men are too emotional for sports. Men are too emotional to go and play and coach sports. It's unbelievable trying to watch our peanut brains navigate these conflicts here. Uh, unbelievable. We'll navigate some conflict on the field. Heading into Buckeye Nation this weekend with Jake Butt, former Michigan tight end, next. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik, Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and very excited to welcome into the show Jake Butt, former Michigan tight end, current analyst over the Big Ten Network. You can also check out his new show on Stadium, Red Corner, Blue Corner, college football <laughs> show, making great use of that old Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Jake Butt going to be joined by former Ohio State linebacker Joshua Perry wow. as they take a look at the world of college <laughs> football there. And, and that's always got to be interesting, getting those two sides together, because we talk about the great rivalries in the sport, Jake. We know that was one you lived personally for such a long time. Even now, a bit removed from it as a college football analyst who's seen rivalries in other areas of the country, who's seen rivalries across the sport. That one's still probably at the top of your list and most everyone's list, right? Oh, yeah. First off, I was excited to join you guys today. Thanks for having me on. But it's kind of a perfect segue because it's Michigan, Michigan State this week. And everyone asked me, hey, you know, what's the difference between those two rivalries? And the fact that I'm working with Joshua Perry, a former Ohio State Buckeye on Red Corner, Blue Corner, there's an overlying theme of respect be between those two teams. You know, a lot of the hatred comes from outside of the teams. Like I, I respect a, a bunch. Of, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I know a lot of those guys. 
there's a lot of respect. Now, for Michigan State, hatred is the word that comes to mind. So even though the teams are uh, kind of mismatched this week, I think that hatred can make things interesting. But uh, in terms of rivalries where I'd rank them, Ohio State-Michigan late November, there's really nothing like it. And, and you – you you being, I got to ask, you being from Ohio, now I'm from Cleveland, and when recruits don't go to Ohio State who live in Ohio, man, they they really get turned on. How, how did you, and I ended up going to Notre Dame, and you not only didn't go to Ohio State, you went to Michigan. How, how did that work? So, Mike, I, I actually grew up a Buckeye fan. I grew up a Notre Dame fan as well. So, like, the two teams I grew up loving were kind of the opposite. They were the anti-Michigan. And neither of them offered me a scholarship. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was getting offers from everybody. So I went to Michigan and, and a funny story about that. So my June, my freshman year of high school was Jim Tressel. Then sophomore year was Fickle. And then junior year was Urban. So like right in that transition period, the more important part of recruiting is when Urban came in and he didn't want me. So I won the John Mackey Award my senior year. I go down to the college football award show, do that on Thursday night. Our SID says, hey, be in the lobby at 7 a.m. We're catching a shuttle to the airport. And I got there at like 6.40. I got there early. So early that there was only two other people in the lobby. <laughs> the clerk behind the desk and Urban Meyer. Mind <laughs> you, I've never talked to him in person. And we were just coming off the JT was short game. I never beat him in my career. Super frustrated. So I say, hey, coach, how's it going? And, you know, just go over to the wall, start sweating, get beat red like smoke's coming out of my ears. And he walks up right in my face and he goes, why didn't you come to Ohio State? I'm like, man, you didn't offer me. He's like, what was it? Were you a bad kid? Did you were you a bad student? I'm like, you know, I went to Michigan, man. You know, so he, he wound oh, it up. He put said, that man, on you're you. a hell of a player. Yeah. You gave me nightmares. Uh, I wish you the best. And I'm like, dang, man, like I really don't want to like you, but I respect yeah. you as a football coach. So it came oh. full circle. Man, he tried to flip it around and <laughs> put did. it on you in that spot. Wow. It's like, coach, maybe you missed on the eval here, all right, yeah. brother? Maybe this is a you problem. He's an in intense dude, too, man. I'll tell you what. It was intense. <laughs> I can I can imagine. We've uh, we've definitely all seen that at various stops throughout his career. I, I want to get to Penn State, Ohio State. That's obviously going to be the big game of the weekend. But you mentioned that Michigan-Michigan State game. We were just talking in the last segment about how feelings can hold over in environments where – You've got high stakes. You've got that kind of passion on both sidelines. We saw for the Michigan-Michigan State game last year. That spilled over into the tunnel. There was that ugly incident between both teams, the fight that went on there. From year to year, Jake, in this kind of rivalry, how much is that stuff going to be on the mind of the guys that take the field this coming Saturday? It really is always on your mind at this rivalry. I mean, I, I say this not in a bad way, but like, hey, you know, the conversation is, is, hey, if your running back gets tackled, like O-line, tight ends, go follow and like make sure you pick your guy up off the ground because you never know what happens, you know, at the bottom of the pile. You know, that's just it's just one of those weeks. It's a physical week and um, that that's this week. So you're aware of that you're aware of what happened last year. Certainly doesn't feel like there's going to be any extracurriculars this year, though. You know, it's pretty quiet on social media. There's not much going on. Um, but here's the thing I know about Michigan State. <clears throat> their season is made. Like, all the all the stuff they've dealt with, their season is made if they can find a way to beat Michigan. And I know when you go to Michigan State, your big rivalry is Michigan. And you almost feel disrespected that you're Michigan's secondary rivalry, right? Like, they know that Michigan's big rival is Ohio State. Their season is made if they can beat Michigan. Now, the, the reason I wouldn't be concerned if I was a Michigan, I would be concerned if there was a lack of maturity and leadership on Michigan's team. We've seen the exact opposite, man. The way these, this team is a veteran team, full of leadership, and they're rolling. I don't expect them to bat an eye. I expect them to handle business this weekend.
Oh, I, I don't think this is going to be an issue at all. For Michigan, it's going to be when, we, when you guys get to Penn State, Maryland, and finish up with Ohio State. And I'm, I'm interested in your thought because there was a thought about Harbaugh when he couldn't get to the Big Ten title game, kept losing to Ohio State, certainly couldn't get to the Final Four. Is his time there ending? And I would always be like, well, okay, who the hell are you getting? Are we now thinking of the same thing of Ryan Day at Ohio State since he's had a couple of – years where he can't beat Michigan, can't get to the Big Ten championship game or back to the Final Four, has the script flip, and could he be playing for his job? Some people will tell you that. Yeah, some people will tell you that, right? But, like, I completely agree. Let's. There's a lot of room to go down than there is to go up, and there's not a lot of good ball coaches out there just walking down the street. You got You kind of got to get lucky with it. And Coach Franklin's done a great job recruiting. He he's had you there every year. I mean, we we were. T- I was talking to him last year. He's like, man, we have a chance to win ten games, go to a New Year's Six Bowl, and and that's a special season almost any time in football history outside of the college football playoff time so like we can say what we want about the rivals ohio state michigan and the lack of success there he still has had a lot of success by a lot of standards but i do think it's fair to say like hey he needs this win like this is a big game you got your quarterback you brought in a five-star drew aller this is why you brought him there to do it this defense is rolling i've called penn state games the last two games i called have been penn state this roster is built to win. So I do think this is important, man. This this is a this looks like a good year for them to do something special. But hey, man, you got to go on the road and do it. And and uh <clears throat> I, I think Drew Aller, it's not a must-win game. You know, he'll have a lot of football left to be played, but man, if he can win this one, that that's a, that's you're starting a legacy there uh for Penn State fans. You mentioned Drew Aller and the talent on that sideline. What have you made of Kyle McCord and what we've seen of him now through the first half of the college football season, that long lineage of great Ohio State quarterbacks having to go and live up to that standard on an offense with some great pieces around him? It's funny. I think we're deceived a little bit because I think C.J. Stroud threw one of the prettiest footballs I've ever seen with my own two eyes, and that ball would just – it was a magnet to where it needed to be. And I can't – McCord's not like that, right? Like, it's not – I wouldn't say he throws the prettiest ball or has the prettiest throwing motion or is extremely, you know, dead-on accurate. And yet the numbers still say this is an explosive offense, and he's still still putting up big-time numbers and great touchdown-to-interception ratio. But the one thing that stands out as it applies to this week, there's two different Kyle McCords. There's a Kyle McCord with a clean pocket, and that's a guy that's about 70% completion rating, about 11.5 yards per completion. Then there's a Kyle McCord under pressure, drops to about 37% completion rating and less than two yards per completion. Why does that matter? Because Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator for Penn State, is going to bring pressure. They average about four and a half sacks per game. So no one gets home and no one brings pressure like Manny Diaz defense. So Kyle McCord, if when he is pressured, he's going to have to make good decisions. And the O-line, the running backs, the tight ends, they have to step up to give him a clean pocket. It's going to be an exciting matchup. You mentioned it feels like we've been building towards this moment in the Big Ten where we're finally getting all these blue bloods, all these big-time teams, especially in the East, getting ready to start playing each other. You guys can hear more about that on Red Corner, Blue Corner. Great show. Jake Butt, former Ohio State linebacker Joshua Perry, and catch him calling games, doing great work over at the Big Ten Network. Jake, we appreciate the time and the admission that you grew up a Notre Dame fan. That makes me feel a lot better about letting <laughs> Michigan guy into the house over here. Hey, my grandfather played for Bob Lally, or uh, Frank Leahy. My, oh, he was one wow. of Leahy's lads. Yeah, Bob Lally, undefeated from seventh grade all the way through college. He's in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, my there we gosh. Go. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah. 
What a oh. walk-off fact from Jake Butt right here. Nice Jake, mic drop. Well we done. We appreciate gotcha. the time, brother. We'll have to talk to you again wow. soon here. All right, man? Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Holy smokes. Man, that's the polar opposite of my career oh. growing up, Dad, where I won one Pop Warner yeah. game in like three years of playing and then was too fat to play my eighth grade year. Yeah, I coach you in Little League, and let me just say it wasn't the coach's fault. I had bad players. Yeah, no, that was a Jimmy's and Joe's <laughs> moment on our squad right there. Not the case for Jake Button Company. We'll finish up with this, that, the third next here on Gojo and Golik on the DraftKings Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Guys, it is time for this, that, and the third. Three stories to send you out into the world to close our show. So, fellas, let's start with this. The Phillies cannot stop mashing dingers. It was an offensive barrage <laughs> for Philadelphia last night. 10-0 over the Diamondbacks. They hit three more home runs to increase their tally to 15 in their last four games. That is a postseason record. Absolutely. I mean, something's in the water. What's going on? I, I, we said the other day the Phillies were going to continue to rewrite the postseason record books when it comes to home run. And, Dad, you invoked the name of Mr. October, Reggie yeah. Jackson, yesterday, and it came back up again. Kyle Schwarber, with two home runs last night, now has 18 career homers in the postseason, tying Reggie Jackson for the most by a left-handed hitter in MLB postseason history. They cannot stop tugging at the cape of historical supermen in every which way. This has been an incredible run, and I feel like people kind of all love this Phillies team. Yeah, Dad. They're, they're a lovable team. And, and the other one that I said from the other day was Nick Castellanos hit five home runs in a three-game postseason span. That tied Reggie Jackson. So Reggie, Mr. October, getting tied in a couple of things now. Uh, pretty impressive, but I... I Mike, I've always said, like, again, most of my career in Philadelphia, the fans there love, like, the blue-collar kind of tough guy approach. And that's what these guys are, right? You look at a Bryce Harper, even though he's a superstar, you kind of look at him, you look at Schwarber, you look at Trey Turner, you look at Castellanos, and you just think of kind of lunch pail guys, even though – they're paid like superstars, which is I what they should be. Say, I know, I know. Like, they're just hairy. They're just I, very yeah. hairy, and that's they, what makes them look blue they, collar they, here. They just and the attitude, I guess. But well, you're yeah. right; they are not but, but paid like blue collar workers. They, they they seem like guys that if they're you know a, a group of people are having a beer, they'll stop by and have a beer with you. I mean, and fans love that kind of stuff, whether it's true or not. That's the perception of them, and they're just lovable kind of kind of characters 
who just, as Jesse said, mashed dingers. I mean, the uh, 10, nothing win. I mean, they're up two zip on Arizona. They're going to, they're going to win that series. And you have Texas up two zip on Houston. I mean, it, it's, that looks like the possible clash there for the world series, but they are, uh, Phillies are fun to watch. Cause you know, the ball's leaving the yard. Oh, and we also know that the ball's leaving the yard fueled by the haters and the doubters for them. I saw this yesterday. DK Sportsbook actually posted this uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly talked about Citizens Bank Park and said he doubted it would be louder than the Venezuela game during the World Baseball Classic. Trey Turner not only responded before the game, but also had a solo home run. He said, we'll see what he says after tonight's game where they went out here and beat him up pretty good. So yeah. if you said anything within the vicinity of yeah. this Philadelphia Phillies team, you are now going to be weaponized and have that used against you by maybe the most vindictive squad of baseball players we've seen in quite a while. Some sports and athletes say that they don't hear the outside noise. Philly's like, no, we hear everything. We, we see hear everything, yeah. and we're going to destroy you with baseball bats. We hear it, and we're going to make shirts about it. <laughs> yes, you're going to be a shirt. You're going to be the reason thing that fuels their champagne shower. And this continued run, it seems like we're setting up for the Rangers who refuse to lose games on the other side in the postseason so far and the Phillies on one side. And it's all good vibes. I said, I like being a dumb fan walking into postseason baseball. And the Phillies are the perfect dumb fan team. They hit home runs. They appear badass while doing it. Yep. They weaponize a bunch of other teams' comments against them. They are a movie baseball team. And this has been a movie run so far. Um, speaking of movies, let's get to a guy watching things on his phone at training camp. Nikola Jokic. This is amazing. And the Denver Nuggets were hanging out at training camp. And there was a video that surfaced of Jokic on the sideline of practice watching intently on his cell phone when one of his teammates comes over to him, Jamal Murray, looking over his shoulder, asking what he's doing, to which Nikola Jokic replied, I'm scouting horses. Dad, we talked about this man's offseason grind and about his approach to basketball, a guy who seems to be an unbothered king. The one thing he appears very content to grind on is making sure those horses are ready and raring to go once he hits the offseason. Is there a guy who seems more disinterested at being one of the best in the world to, to do it than him in basketball? It, it blows my mind. It's like the secondary thing in his life. It, it truly, I think, is family, horses, basketball for him and basketball may even be lower for all i know he but he's Which, like oh you know what i've got yeah he's like oh i've got this talent i guess i'll use it to make myself you know 40 50 mil a year so i can go ahead and scout horses and get the good horses and do the right things i need to do for my 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 horse future guys i saw an onion headline that was like Jokic uh looking forward to the end of the season I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. I saw that right. same Onion headline and thought it was very, very real for a second. And <laughs> oh, they yeah. often can blur the line there. You you, you wonder, and, and listen, I, th this is probably bad to say, you wonder if he's happy if they don't make the playoffs. Oh, he you know? definitely is. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm bummed we didn't make the playoffs for like a minute. And then, okay, I get to go do my thing now. He said <laughs> it was the worst offseason he ever had because it was so short. It's amazing. Nikola Jokic has done a few things that most people would deem impossible. One, he's a man, an adult man who's found hobbies outside of his job that he really enjoys, but also seems to have found work-life balance in his approach. Like, yeah. yes, I understand and I hear the chorus of people. I feel like we've gone out the out of their way the other way to be like, no, this is actually the work that Nikola Jokic puts in the offseason. This is how much he cares about. Like, of course he cares about it enough to go. Yeah, out. he he's does. The best player yeah, in the world does. right now. His team just won a championship. Like, obviously. 
obviously we're having a little bit of fun with us. Don't ruin the joke right now, nerds. But also it's this idea that, yeah, it matters a lot to him, but it doesn't matter too much. And right. man, what a healthy perspective in this grind set time that we live in. Well, we've talked about it. Every athlete's got to feel like they got to put their workout video up on Instagram and have all this stuff put out there. Jokic is like, no, you're going to watch me get drunk and hang out and bet on these horses, what you're going to do, and you're going to like it. I It is a refreshing entry into the sports world that I am happy to embrace and celebrate. Hey, it's a role model for f- the far more mass than the few, right, of, of thinking yes. you have to go 24-7 on your sport. And listen, you and I, I agree with you. The dude puts in the time. Don't, let's not act like he doesn't. We are having some fun here. But he's not one of those 24-7. My entire life is my job and my sport. And to the end end of it all, you are correct. This is what a great work-balance life that is. Work, work-life balance, I should say, that that is. I mean, what great perspective. And it always helps that you're able to do it when you're big like that and have the kind of talent you do. It is amazing how much more people are willing to tolerate your interests outside of sports when you are very good at the thing. Yes, that you do. exactly. As someone who was formerly not always very good at the thing he did and had interests outside of the sport. People don't like that nearly as much nope. as when you are good and also have those outside interests when they need you. They're a lot more willing to tolerate your hobbies, but that's a story for another day. Jesse, let's get to the third on this. The theme of our day, it felt like on this show was beef and CJ Gardner Johnson and Debo Samuel had that beef spill over to the timeline mercifully for the rest of us. Yeah. So this started on Monday. Okay. When Gardner Johnson trolled Samuel for his role in that pregame fight between the 49ers and Browns before San Fran's loss in Cleveland. So he was trolling him. So then it's, Gardner Johnson goes on Instagram and says, don't be friendly when you see me. He kind of goes off. Take a look at the video here. Bro, listen, don't be friendly when you see me. Because you be so flashy. You better hope, well, you better hope all that talking you be doing when we see y'all, whatever round it may be, because I can guard you. You can't run routes. You're a running back. You're a running back. I ain't going to sit here and play with you, little boy. Because you got a little bag, people gave you a little clout, man. You ain't nothing, bro. Stop playing. So call them a running back. <laughs> wow, he called them a <laughs> call running, them a running back. back. Yep. I hate that for our running back <laughs> friends out there that the term and the position have now, Dad, become a slight used in a beef between two skill players. I tell you what is is impressive though, just the ease of which he comes up with stuff because. I was a horrible trash talker. My trash talk consisted of two words. The first word, the letter began with an F, and the last word was you. That was pretty much it. I would actually ask my brother Greg, who was pretty good at at using words, give me some lines. You know, give me some stuff I could say when I'm on the field. So the same way that you came to me before calling a Sunday night football game in Taylor Swift's NFL asking me to write you lines, you were asking my uncle Greg to ghostwrite your trash talk yes it's exactly right listen you, oh you, you know what you got to do mike understand your weaknesses make them your strengths and by i made in my strengths by asking other people to do the work for me who's you know the winner what? here you know what we would like all of you to do the work for us by downloading subscribing rating and reviewing this show leaving us that five-star review and checking us out on youtube thanks so much we'll talk to you tomorrow